This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to On the Bench. On our last episode, we were talking about ebbs and flows of recruiting, the uh, not getting too high on the high and not getting too low on the load. And I also said Ole Miss, and, you know, I still stand by those comments. Maybe a little bit of a different tone, but Ole Miss. Josh, is this an ebb or a flow? Oh, we're flowing, baby. <laughs> we're definitely flowing. We're out of the 40s. Uh, Florida State checks in at number 31. I think they moved up about... 10 spots in the, in the rankings, give or take in the last, uh, since Friday, really, since the fireworks started. And, um, you know, we're in a good spot of all the, of all the periods and time that we've got on this podcast and and discussed Florida state recruiting. This is one of the, this is a period where we have a little, we're seeing some momentum. I was really, it was kind of a yes or no question, but I like the energy. I like that you're there. I just want to talk a little. I'm very proud of Josh for actually getting the ebb and flow part of that correct. (laughs) I I still don't know. I'm still confused. Hey, guys, welcome to On the Bench. I know people were asking for an emergency episode on Friday night after the Fabian Lovett commitment. Uh, Anything that happens past 9 p.m. is way too late for Josh and myself. But we mainly (laughs) mainly Josh. Yeah, I was actually up at 1030 when that happened. Surprisingly, I haven't been up past uh, 830 p.m. very often these days. Anyways, uh, this is On the Bench. I'm Brendan Sinone. I got Chris Neen, Josh Newberg with me today. We have a lot to go over. We're going to start off with the Fabian Lovett commitment, but also Jerry and Jones and, and the Mississippi boys and uh, kind of the murky, strange waters that come with covering, it seems like, any kind of Mississippi prospect, but but especially when they're actually leaving a school like Mississippi State and, and Ole Miss was in it. And there's a lot of commitments and news to get to today, but that's where we're going to start this podcast off. We knew there was going to be a lot to talk about. Finally, there is. It's going to be be a big episode, so let's let's buckle in, fellas. Fabian Lovett. Mm. When we recorded this last week, did you think what was the percent chance you thought Fabian Lovett would somehow end up at Florida State? Be honest here, because I was at zero. I was probably five, at twenty. I, five ten percent. I, I thought it was going to be hard for him to have the conversation with Odell, but I still thought he wasn't coming here. Josh, yeah. you were at twenty. I would say twenty, and the same reason I said last week the sources that i spoke with you know when it sounds like uh they're confident you know when it sounds like they're a little bit iffy um but it wasn't a total surprise because i knew they were working i just didn't think that uh there was a whole lot of confidence that they were going to actually be able to pull it off i think people need to understand too that norvell tweeted when the kid came that he's back Mm -hmm. so i think that (laughs) is speaking on the coaching staff's belief that that thing was trending the other way at one point they fully we're not considering him a commitment at one point uh, that that's fair, I think at this point, but uh, yes, yeah. right. I would mean, say if well, all transfers are a tricky thing. While you can say that they didn't think of him as a commit. They also understood that the moment he committed that the recruitment wasn't over. Like they know that the transfers can't sign anything 
and that they're talking to transfers that might be quote unquote committed to another program, just like the, the kids that they got committed to them are talking to others. So they were of the, you know, it didn't blindside him that other schools were still pursuing love it and that he was speaking to them. Just put it that way. To, to add some legalese to Josh's, the only thing that a transfer actually signs is a grant and aid, but that's only binding when he enrolls. So he can sign a grant and aid with multiple institutions, the way I understand it, but it's only binding for the kid to the institution when he enrolls. For the well, institution, it, it binds them to the kid, but so, it's not like a letter of intent where it's binding both ways at the moment it's signed. So it's a very different situation compared to a high school recruit. Anything else to add to that specifically, Josh? I, well, you know, let's stick on Fabian, stick on Fabian Lovick. There's like two different mm-hmm. paths I want to go down. I don't want to spend too much on this one, and that's his impact because we talked about it already, right? <laughs> when he did commit and when he didn't commit. For this season, I don't think it's like – I don't know if it dramatically changes anything other than having some really nice depth. What it does is it gives FSU the luxury of, of not having to go out and take a JUCO defensive tackle this class and yeah. helps – bridge the gap, right? I think that supplements recruit to me, it supplements recruiting. Look, Florida state hasn't had the the biggest amount of success at the defensive tackle position really ever since Marvin Wilson signed. So you're counting on a couple guys to develop. Of course, there's some, some talent on the roster, not saying that, but love. It's a little bit of a more proven commodity. So he brings, there's a little bit more value with him. If Robert Cooper and Corey Durden both decided to clear for the NFL draft early, we know Marvin Wilson's obviously gone. He's a senior. Uh, If those two guys leave early, it doesn't necessarily make that position a weakness. I don't know if it's a strength still with Lovick because he has room to develop, but it it helps. It hedges your bets. Mm -hmm. It'll leave some of the pressure off of finding an impact defensive tackle right away, whether that be from Juco or from the high school ranks. He's also proven at a certain level at the college ranks. You know, yeah. 13 starts last year in SEC school. We went to a bowl game. He's been in that life, and he's, you know, not necessarily thrived at the highest level, but he's shown he can do it at that level. And there's some kids that that just hasn't happened at the college level. So he's more of a sure thing than a high school kid who you don't know how he's going to adjust. Quentin C asked, and I'm going to try to, we had a lot of good questions. I'm going to try to integrate as many of I, as I can into the actual conversations we're having. Quentin C asked, is Fabian Love at more of a nose tackle or a three tech? To me, he was kind of more of a one tech at Mississippi State, but did a little bit of both. And I think that's what he is at Florida State in the sense like he's going to be what Marvin Wilson is this year, where you can move him to be more of the quick twitch three tech guy or someone you put more over the center and the the gap between the center and guard to to eat up a double team. Uh, because he's going to be someone who's malleable as you work with Dennis Briggs and and True Thompson, two other underclassmen that we like, uh, but have more defined roles. You know, True's more of that one tech, and and Dennis Briggs is more of the three. So I think Fabian Lovett gives you the potential to have a really nice three man rotation there mm-hmm. and be flexible with how you do that. Enough on how like he impact. You like that? I do. It too. sounds I, good. In theory, it always does. <laughs> it always does. All right. Enough of of his impact. We've stated that. Josh, what the hell happened with this recruitment? It, it, and I was mm-hmm. fair to say we still don't entirely have all the details. Fair? Yeah. Well, I mean, I kind of hit on it. Like, he committed to Florida State. And in the sense of a commitment that we expect, it's not exactly that with at the transfer level. So um, Fabian Lovett continued to kind of listen and talk to other teams. I think that there was a good suspicion that he was headed to Ole Miss there for, for a while, at least a 10 day period where, uh, a lot of people thought he was headed that way. And then in the end, you know, coach Norvell has proven that he doesn't give up. Odell Hagens has a great relationship with the kid. 
Coach Fuller, he was involved in it as well, and uh, they were able to get him back. Was it's he apart? Was he apartment shopping? Do we know? That? I don't know. In, in okay. Oxford, <laughs> uh, to, to Josh's point, I want your thoughts on this, Chris. Josh said it's important for for FSU to get Fabian Lovett back. I, I think that's what the significance was to me. I want to get your thoughts. Like, how big of a deal was this for Florida State to seemingly lose a kid? In SEC country, they got him, then they seem to lose him, and then they get him back. Uh, to me, that felt like a sizable win for for Norvell and his staff. Yeah, I think it shows what they're made of. You know, some schools, when you would have somebody and you lose them, you'd just be like, ah, screw it. Like, we, we've made the effort, and the effort didn't pay off. That's not the case here. They kind of see things through. And, you know, I think that this is one that could have possibly gone either which way, but they saw it through, and they were the winners of a winning and losing situation. I, I think that's a big positive. I think, I, I think it just speaks on some of the things we've learned about them now for this cycle and the end of last cycle, that they're pretty good at reading where they stand and kind of navigating those waters and going about it and executing a plan to its best of its ability. So I would definitely say it's a positive. Okay. And coming with Fabian Lovett kind of transitioning here uh, from Mississippi state to Florida state is Jerry and Jones former four-star defensive back from Mississippi. And he started, well, I think two or three games at Mississippi State as a true freshman, but was a pretty integral part of their their sub packages. I think he played like 250 snaps at cornerback for Mississippi State, long athletic corner. Josh, you were the one who kind of got into mm-hmm. initially that you reported that he was interested in Florida State and vice versa. Didn't know to what extent. Obviously, we have an idea of it now. Uh, one, what do you like about Jones, Josh? What does FSU like about him? And then two, uh, I guess, how does he fit here long term? FSU likes two things primarily about Jones. One is his versatility. He can play corner or safety. You know, They can move him around to a couple different spots in that secondary, so they really like that. The other thing that they really like about him is he's, he's going to have three years of eligibility. He has three years plus a red shirt. So whether or not he gets the waiver – we still know he's going to have three years because if he doesn't get the waiver, he'll just use that red shirt year. So he returns with three rather than a graduate transfer that has just one year. Um, there's a lot of built in value with that, just as we talked about with with Love It. It supplements recruiting, uh, kind of bridges the gap there. He's a guy that Coach Marv is very familiar with. And I believe Woodson and possibly Norvell had a, a relationship with him. I got to go look back in that story that I wrote. Now, uh, when did he enter the portal? Everything he, runs together. It could have been a com- week ago. It could have been a month ago. I don't know. He committed to Old Miss on the 23rd. I think he officially entered the portal maybe like the 19th or 20th. Gotcha. It kind of became a thing a couple days before that. So basically two weeks ago is when this whole thing began. A week ago, he was committed to Old Miss. A week later, he's in Tallahassee. Mm-hmm. And on Saturday night, I reached out to Jones and he basically confirmed to me that he was coming to Florida state. He didn't want me to put anything out. Uh, told me he'd give me a heads up before he did it. And Monday morning he shot me a text saying I'm about to do something. (laughs) So, uh, that's how we found out. He he told me that he signed a national letter intent with Ole Miss and and couldn't. I told you. I was like, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Chris went went down the rabbit hole for us, and, and you know, was, I'm reading the 16 his, page yeah. document from the NLI, sending it to Sinone. He's circling in black, yeah. sending it back. Yeah, and the and the funny part is, Sinone tells us in the group chat, "Hey, Jones told us he signed an NLI with Ole Miss, and and it's over." 
15 minutes later, I go into the admin and make a, uh, a pre-story <laughs> for Jones to Florida State. Thanks, Brendan, for the heads up. <laughs> I'm like, I felt confident enough to knew, to go in and, and make a pre-story because I knew he was BSing you. <laughs> I, I mean, there, when there was no way that was accurate because it's impossible, right? But I, more I was like, okay, is someone telling him that or is he just saying that to, to throw me off the trail? But regardless, <laughs> I think that it paints a good picture of what the – coverage of both these players have been like from our perspective and, and specifically like Josh, who's, who's really swimming in the, the transfer portal waters to be transparent. I'm going to throw this to you, Chris, like when, well, hey, I'll, I'll just come out and say it. When Jerry and Jones committed to Ole Miss initially, you said you felt like FSU dodged a bullet. Now it looks like they caught the bullet uh, with their teeth. <laughs> Maybe. Why was he not in – why would – I guess explain to us, please, like why you weren't really comfortable yourself kind of swimming in those waters. Nothing about talent or ability. I think he definitely adds to the roster. I think he can help you on defense and special teams. Very, very good athlete. It was all about the situation of him leaving one institution in the same state and potentially going to the other one in the same state in the way those two love to just have a rivalry with the Egg Bowl. You know, he's leaving Mississippi State. The accusation is that he was at Old Miss a week before the weekend before he entered the portal, that he worked out with some players from Old Miss, guys that he knew because, you know, he's from there, from the state. Um, and I think there was a pool party brought up and then it became this whole back and forth of supposedly talking to, you know, one school talking to the NCA and the presidents of the two schools talking. It was just a zoo. And I'm one of those people that like, if you can avoid becoming part of something that just has that many things going on mm-hmm. with a whole lot of emotion tied into it, and none of it's necessarily the kid's fault, but the situation just had insane emotion because of the egg bowl rivalry. It's almost like you just want to walk from it. Um, you know, and it continued even after he committed to Old Miss back on, I think it was the 23rd and it's calmed down a little bit. And now that this has happened, I think Mississippi state people are kind of almost humored by how it's played out to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they were convinced they were losing them before the 23rd. So at this point they're just kind of humored that their rival now, you know, got spurred for it. Um, but it's just weird. It's one of those things where like, sometimes you just, you don't want to be involved in something that has that much going on with it. Because when does that circus for lack of a better word come to an end? And if yeah. Jones arrives in Tallahassee and that's the end of it, then that's great. It's an addition to the roster. But the 21st, 22nd, 23rd lead up to that commitment, that thing was uh, it was crazy to follow. There were people that thought he would go to Oregon because Coach Moorhead's now at Oregon, who used to be at Mississippi State, just to avoid all of the headache that was mm-hmm. associated with the rivalry being tied to his potential transfer. I, I remember the Cam Akers recruiting coverage that you guys had and, and kind of sitting ringside for it. And how crazy that was. It pales in comparison, <laughs> though. It pales in comparison. Like, you think just Ole Miss involved gets it weird? Ole Miss, Mississippi State, like, in between was really, really kind of interesting and fun to watch that all play out. The the disdain those two programs have for each other, the level of it feels like dysfunction in terms of, like, how kids are recruited in that state. If you ever watched, I put a link to it. Uh, the paid in Mississippi bagman documentary that SB nation did a couple years ago. Like, you know, that stuff happens everywhere. It's to another level with Mississippi. And that's why I jokingly said uh, a mean thing about Ole Miss because it's just, it's a strange deal. I kind of want to move on from the Mississippi state, Mississippi stuff. These kids are coming to Florida state now where they're coming from. Doesn't really matter at this point or it should it real quick though. 
Chris, I said I wasn't going to do this to you. I lied because so many people have asked. It's been like two or three on the message board, including on the uh, OTB question thread. Chevy Toys wants to know what's up with Charles Cross. Do we just want to say pass? I mean, at this point, nothing. He's not in the yeah. portal. Okay. And, and uh, again, again, I think that is the egg bowl rivalry playing right. out on message boards and being breathed into life and ending up on our message board because obviously people from our side are you know gallivanting over that direction. But Tilly's in a portal. There's nothing to it, and we don't know of any particular reason we should believe he is definitely going to the portal. Okay. Yeah, I wanted to uh, address that. I think the rumors have gotten so kind of far out in front of themselves that there's people that read stuff on message boards and Twitter that don't even know that Charles Cross is not in the portal yet. A lot of people are talking as if he is or as if it's been written down that he's going to go. There's no reports. Um, of course, you see what's going on. There's been mass exodus at Mississippi State. Would it be crazy to think that he might enter the portal at some point? No, but FSU is not actively recruiting him. Um, there's nothing going on between him and FSU. If he were to become available, I, you know, there's no doubt FSU would have interest and would pursue him. But to this point, he is not in the, the transfer portal. Okay, the other subplot that I want to go over with Lovett and Jones. Mm, okay, yeah, here, here's what I want to do. C. Steph asks, who is the next scholarship player Chris Knee will run off the team by speaking his name to o- OTB? I'll listen. And this has to do with scholarship counts. I'm going to ask Josh to break it down too, but real quick, Chris, who are you kicking off the team next? Everyone wants to know. I, I don't have one I can just fire right now. <laughs> okay, all right. We'll we'll. we'll uh, wait for another podcast for that. Josh, Mr. Numbers are always going to work out. I don't know how many questions we've gotten in the past three or four hours on scholarship count and mm-hmm. distribution. And maybe it's time for me to to dust off the uh, the old distribution article that I do once a month. But break it down for the people what we're dealing with right now. Oh, I don't know if I can break it down. There was a scare <laughs> over the weekend where it's, it's, I con- almost... it's convoluted. It's confusing. Go, go let ahead. Me, let me, there is a scare over the weekend where I was nearly thrown off of my the numbers all work always work out stance um i was kind of told the numbers might not work out (laughs) people people were aggressive when you kind of said that too they were mad at you they felt betrayed and the funny part is well it's not funny but to explain what we're talking about there's two numbers to look at you have the overall roster numbers which are at 85 and you also have the amount of signees a particular program can take in one year which is 25 the 85 number can be adjusted. Uh, Chris, you want to break this down from here because numbers aren't my thing. And I, and I feel like I'm just trying to remember the way Chris explained it before the before the show. And he's just going to do a way better job. Uh, real, real quick, I have to say, as I was putting – I know Josh wanted to talk about this. So I specifically put it to him uh, in our to. script. You kind of did. You wanted to at least clarify it. So I gave it to you. But as I wrote down – Josh scholarship numbers on my script. I thought to myself, man, that's a terrible idea. Chris should be talking about it. I like that. It just organically happened naturally. As things stand today, FSU would have 86 on their roster scholarship players, presuming Mm -hmm. everybody we expect to get a scholarship coming in gets one. So that would be 86, one over. Therefore one body on scholarship has to be removed from that total. We're not worried about that right now. That's going to happen between June 1st and August, whatever the date is they need to be. And that's to clarify, Chris, that's graduate transfers coming in or just transfers coming in, I should say, and incoming freshmen. Yes. So okay. FSU has 25 incoming newcomers that are recruits. 
and then they have nine incoming transfers. One of those, Cornell Jones, we do not expect to be on scholarship for sure. So we have eight in the scholarship number there. So technically, we're looking at 33 incoming scholarship players. But only 25 of those are what we can define as recruits in a single class. Because FSU had eight early enrollees in high school recruits, they can count backwards, therefore allowing them to have 25 full in this class. That's how you get to the total number of 33, 25 plus eight. Eight, you're counting backwards, eight, 25, you're counting total in this one. So that's where they sit right now. So technically right now, if everybody they're bringing in, with the exception of Cornell Jones, is on scholarship, they're at a 25 cap for that singular Ooh. class. Now, as we've talked about with transfers, they're not truly on that scholarship till they enroll and they're in. You know, it's a grant and aid process before that. And obviously, if someone didn't qualify or something of that sort, we don't know of anything of that sort happening. But if something like that happened, it changes the number by that many people. So that's what we're looking at. So the next question, obviously, and I'll kind of push this towards Josh is, well, what does FSU do if they're going to add, say, an offensive tackle transfer? So how would you go about handling that, Josh? Well, that comes into play with the 25. So you have to talk about who's enrolling. And the only way to take a guy, because right now, like we said, they're up against the 25. The only way to take a guy like Charles Cross would be for somebody that might be committed not to enroll. And then you would you replace that enrollment with Charles Cross. Like we said with Fabian Lovett, nothing's final until they enroll. It's vice versa. And there's still some wiggle room. So numbers work out, still still goes on strong, Brendan. <laughs> numbers other, always work out. One other slight thing to add to that is the potential also exists of somebody coming in and either being gray-shirted for a reason or you know, just not being on scholarship. There's always that possibility where you make the numbers work. And that's something that, you know, over the years as Alabama's had to juggle numbers and others, they've always kind of done the gray shirt, blue shirt moving the numbers around to make the numbers work out in the end. But I, I think Florida state used to dabble in that action too. Yeah. I, I think as things stand right now, the expectation is that we probably are not going to see another addition to the roster for 2020 as mm-hmm. things stand today. Well, people are, as they listen to that, Chris are asking, well, what about Jared Williams? What about Ezra Miller? What about this offensive tackle? I don't want to go too much in depth, but Josh, like, is that, Right now, what are the updates on guys we've mentioned on previous podcasts with the current scholarship? As far status? as I know, they're you know I reported on the message board probably over a week ago now that they weren't going to pursue Ezra Miller. Did you reach out to him and hear otherwise? Yeah, he didn't get back to me. Okay, so I don't think FSU. As he, far as he, I know, he, he did not write lie like some other people though. So I, I mean, I was told on good authority a while back when I reported it that Florida State was not going to pursue him. So it's been over a week. I haven't checked to see if they are. I don't have any reason to believe that they are. Uh, Jared Williams still hasn't announced his decision. I do know, and I can confirm, he's been in contact with Florida State over the weekend. Don't know what's dragging it out. Um, he's another one that kind of has dropped contact with me. I exchanged texts with him two Fridays ago when he told me that he wasn't going to drop a top three or a top five and he was going to announce soon. So he didn't want to make a big deal out of dropping a top three. Well, that was like two weeks ago. So and he still hasn't announced. And I shot him a text on Friday morning and asked, you know, any plans to make an announcement and uh, hadn't heard back. So uh, he's still kind of he's still hanging out there. But I think if a guy like Charles Cross were to hit the portal, he would immediately take priority. Leonard Hamilton, Leonard Hamilton used to love to tell me to not count his scholarships when I was (laughs) trying to figure out recruiting. And I've entered that territory with football. So I just have Leonard's head or voice in my head right now. Don't count my scholarships. 
Leonard's head would be on your ass if they won a national championship. It would be. Uh, and this is true. Too. Yes. Uh, yeah, I get the feel that this staff's kind of at the same cut from the same mm-hmm. cloth where they don't want us counting scholarship. Well, that was a close one counting scholarships, uh, but we're probably going to do a scholarship distribution story later this week. So anyways, all right, let's move on to a quick commercial break. And after that, we have some, well, many commitments to talk about for Florida state. Like we said, it's been a really good week for the Seminoles on the recruiting trail. This is a flow right now. We'll be right back to talk about it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The time has come for drag queens to save the world. world. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars is back on Paramount Plus, and for the first time ever, I want you to use your talent for good for a change. (laughs) Eight iconic queens are competing for the charity of their choice. This is how you do drag. Who will slay it forward, win cash for their favorite cause, and a coveted spot in the Drag Race Hall of Fame. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. New season streaming May 17th exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. All right, welcome back to On the Bench. Let's get into it. We have multiple commitments. How many? One, two, three. Three prep commitments to go over. That's in addition to the two transfers FSU added. So five commitments since Friday. It's been a hectic few days for us. Uh, Let's go in order of most recent. That's with today's commitment. Jackson West, three-star tight end from Huntsville, Alabama. I like him a lot. I did the scouting report on him. Like I, I think he's a little bit undervalued right now by the recruiting services. I think we have him ranked fairly as a network with 87 grade, but no one else has even ranked him yet. Are, are we going to get a, a Berg bump there? You you already know. <laughs> Josh is a little bit uncomfortable talking about it, but, uh, but I like Jackson West at tight end. I like that he's a basketball player who brings some athleticism, but he's also fairly physical, good blocker, going to keep getting better as he fills out. Very athletic Really strong hands. Does a lot well. I like them. I, I like the floor and I like the ceiling there. Chris, you're in the same boat, I assume? Yes, I'm a big fan. I, I spoke quite a bit about him last time around on the podcast. In addition to the football talent, which I like a great deal, I think he's very, very mature. And I just think he comes off that way. And I think, you know, you're looking at some of these commitments. And we're going to get to another one in Burrell here later. But they're both really smart, sharp kids that come off as – you know, mature, strong households, kids that are going to come in, kind of help with the culture shift that you're trying to make here. Death to Gators asked us, this is about the tight end position in general. Uh, mm. Is is this true that the staff hates the tight end talent currently on the team? So this narrative has, has become, I shouldn't say narrative, it's a talking point that's become a little bit more prevalent in the last week or so. That mm-hmm. definitely stems from our buddy Bud Elliott listening to the Nolcast. He's brought that up a, a couple times. My thought is this, like they have currently three scholarship tight ends on the roster. Only one of them has played a snap of football. Like, why would you be in love with the <laughs> talent that you have? And, and those two freshmen tight end, one is Marcus and Douglas, who hasn't played football for a very long time. And you don't know what he's going to develop into. And, and Carter Boatwright is also still kind of considered developmental prospect who really has only been a, a blocker for a majority of his prep career. So, And who yeah. was recruited by the previous staff. 
Yeah, and they held on to his commitment, and Chris loves him, so of course you jump in there to defend him. I'm not surprised <laughs> by that at all. And, and, and there's a reason why they accepted a a commitment from Jordan Wilson at tight end, who doesn't have a ton of production at UCLA, but but he raises the floor of the room simply because he's shown that he can be an adequate inline blocker at the Power Five level. Like, there's a reason why they're going heavy on tight ends in this upcoming recruiting cycle, this current one. And that's why I want to ask you, Chris, like what's next at tight end. You have Jackson West committed, but they're not done, right? Yeah. They're going to take at least one more for a long time. I've held the belief that that one more would be Michael Trigg. Michael is a special talent at a position of basketball kid truly converts to that position. He's almost a big receiver who will convert into the tight end when he fills out at the next level and gets into more of a developmental program. But they're also in a pretty good spot with Aaron Outley, uh, Outley, a tight end from Arkansas, Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, Steve Wilfong chimed in yesterday, which would have been Sunday, that he believes FSU is actually sitting in the pole position there right now. I think it's FSU, Arkansas at the top. Personally, I thought it was Arkansas, FSU before the conversation with Wilfong. I still think it will be one of those two when he makes a decision in about two months. Trigg's nowhere close to a decision, but I think Trigg's a guy that even if you have two tight ends in the boat, you're not going to turn away. I think Trigg's one of the more talented players that can actually potentially get in this class as things stand today. Numbers so they definitely work out there, Chris, would you say? Numbers always work out in Newark. They definitely want two. I think Trigg is a kind of kid you can view as a plus one in addition to those two. It just dawned on me because I was checking my my stocks in the middle of, of Chris's breakdown. We're, we're at the end of power hour here, Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, five, not five minutes ago, said he's not good with numbers and deferred to Chris to talk about numbers. And now he's checking in investments that he has. God knows how much money. Uh, that is all strictly dealing with with numbers. So that's a, a smart play for you to invest your money in, Joshua. Jordan Eubanks, three-star linebacker out of Texas, mm. six foot two, 205 pounds. We have him listed as the number 59 outside linebacker in the country. Lower, uh, We're higher on him. Most other outlets are lower on him as a network. Chris, I'll ask you your thoughts on, on Jordan's uh, Jordan's commitment over the weekend was a little bit of a surprise, although not completely out of left field, just the timing of it, I guess. Right. Yeah. He named FSU in his top six back on May 19th. Uh, None of those six were in state school. So he was kind of open to the possibility of going somewhere. So it's not far fetched for that somewhere to be FSU, but the timing was surprising. He took a virtual visit to FSU and, the short version of what he told me is basically he loved everything he saw about that. He liked what Coach Norvell's pitches. He's developed a good relationship with Coach Marv. They were talking before FSU offered, and they've talked a great deal since FSU offered. And he just liked it. And my thoughts on him as a player, he's a safety transitioning the linebacker, so it's all projection. He is a long kid. He's somewhat lean. I think he's a fairly good athlete. He's more about cutting people down than kind of mauling them, but I think that might come with development. But he's one of those guys you're projecting there. There's not film you can watch and go, he's a surefire high-end outside linebacker at the next level. I think it's more we believe we can take him, we like his frame, we can mold him. So if you're taking multiple linebackers in the class, which we fully expect FSU to take multiple linebackers in this class – then he's one of the second, third guys you're taking out of that position. And you are expecting that you can project him and mold him. And that when you hand him off to Josh Storms, he can make you him into the mold of a linebacker instead of more of a safety, which is what he's been in high school. With that in mind, Chris, I viewed him when I watched him as more of the hybrid stud role, which is kind of the mix between a linebacker 
and his safety. Did he specify to you when, when you caught up with him? Like, is, is he inside linebacker or is he that? He, that he expects role? to be an, he expects to be an outside guy to be more of a guy who's able to kind of turn and move and cover the pass, which okay. I think is where the safety skill certainly will come into play and benefit them. But he's always said in previous conversation that schools at the D1 level are consistently looking at him as a linebacker more than a safety. But this day and age, the old rover position has kind of, depending on which school you go to, some view it as a true safety, some view it as a true outside backer, but yet you're doing similar things regardless of what the title is. And in FSU's case, you know, uh, the young man who went to, what, Vanderbilt last class Mm -hmm. that they loved out in New Orleans – he was an example of that, and he was a safety type of game player, but he had the body to thump. And I think Eubanks is a guy that his body might not be built to thump quite as much, but he definitely has a safety game to it. So he's kind of the flip of the same idea, and now it's about developing the rest of them to fit what you want in that role. But, yeah, I certainly think he can play that hybrid, versatile role where he's covering all parts of the field to all directions. You have a body to thump. Easy there, Brandon. Sorry. Oh, I apologize. Josh, the linebacker board real quick. I know mm-hmm. you had Andrew Jones on your top 10 most wanted that you released uh, on those 24-7 a few days ago. You got a feeling like how many more guys are looking at, at at linebacker at this point and who are some of the names? I think at least one more, potentially two. I mean, Andrew Jones is a guy that I think Florida State holds a spot for. I mean, we all kind of identified him early on as a stud linebacker that was underrated he's since gotten a bump but i think you know his value what's that berg bump oh the berg bump yeah uh not quite i mean he's pretty undeniable his skills are undeniable slightly maybe a little bit a touch undersized i don't i don't exactly know um the reasoning behind his ranking but he's got a spot now if florida state can find another they love i think they add him um are we are we are we debating where brandon jennings is going to end up? Are we considering him a potential rush end or are we there's, going to keep him at linebacker? There's people that definitely think he could, he's made for that Fox role. And mm-hmm. I can see that, but I've not heard that definitively from Brandon or from anybody associated with FSU. I've just heard it kind of, you know, thought out loud about, and it does make some sense when you think of his game, but to be determined. Right. And then you hold a spot for a guy like Xavier Sori. uh, He's he's going to be there until the end or until he commits somewhere else. So they have a couple targets on the board that they love. I think that they at this point with Eubanks on board, you kind of slow down linebacker recruiting a little bit. Stick with the guys that you like and maybe wait, wait it out until their senior year and see if you fall in love with somebody else. Yeah, a couple other names I'd throw out there. Jackson Hamilton. He's a Georgia kid. He recently put FSU on a shortened list. But to me. He's kind of the more physically built version of Eubanks in the sense of mm-hmm. what he brings to the table. And then Jordan Poole is a kid that FSU just recently offered. I, I expect him to shorten his list here soon. Not convinced FSU makes a cut. He's a guy that he had one of the biggest rating jumps on 247 when they did the defensive upgrades in May. He moved into top 247. He moved up like 600 plus spots. He's athletic as all hell. He played running back and linebacker last year. He can do a whole lot. His game's actually really fun to watch on film. Um, but FSU's got work to do there. There's a few other schools in his region, NC State being one of them, a couple others in that area that I think have a better uh, grasp on that recruitment right now than Florida State. 
Josh, I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit about Joshua Burrell, keeping the Joshes together. Three-star wide receiver out of South Carolina. FSU goes ahead and gets a, a commitment from him on, on Friday afternoon, which I guess wasn't a, a huge surprise. Correct. Depends who, who you're talking to. No, it I mean, wasn't you, a, huge you, had a you, you had a crystal ball in for him. Yeah, there was actually eight crystal ball predictions <laughs> on his page, and all eight were for Florida State. Um, so yeah, he's a six foot two. We have him listed two Oh eight. I'm told that, uh, off season workouts, he's up over two ten right now, maybe upwards of like two fifteen. really looking good as a prospect. Um, there's been some of, a, some people have knocked his speed, uh, Florida state. I'm told believe, you know, they have him as, is maybe a faster wide receiver than some we've seen him mentioned as a possession guy because he is physical. I don't think that's fair. He can stretch the field vertically just because he is a good blocker and he can go over the middle and catch passes doesn't make him a possession wide receiver. I don't think FSU is bringing him him in to be that type of wide receiver either. Um, It'll be it'll be good to see him on the field this this senior season, because there's a lot of people that think he's going to really break out and open some eyes across the country. I think he is a possession receiver, but there's this negative connotation like he can't do other things. I think his bread and butter is that he catches the ball extremely well. He's physical in how he goes up and gets the ball. Uh, and his deep speed was like not terrible for me. We don't have a 40 time on him, but like you watch him, he can stretch the field some. Mm-hmm. I just don't seem as like a super twitched up guy who's who's going to do everything that you want him to be like he's not going to be a, a sure. totally complete wide receiver but that doesn't mean he's not going like Anquan Bolden was a possession wide receiver and and had a, a thousand yards like clockwork clockwork every single year in the NFL I'm not saying he is Anquan Bolden that'd be a little irresponsible but there's value to that type of player yeah um, the, the speed discussion is weird it's like it's got to be fast or slow and he's not fast and he's not slow you know, you put him out there with Keon Coleman, Destin Pays on. Those are three very different receivers, and he's the slowest of the three, but he's not slow. Mm-hmm. Um, the best thing I like about him is he can win the ball in any area, whether he does create separation or it's a tight body catch where he's having to use his frame to beat the defender to give himself a reception window. He does that effectively. But he also showed on a couple instances he was able to get around people and go vertical to a degree. He's just not what I would describe as a burner. Yeah. No, I agree. I think that's it. You could say it's not a strength without it being a weakness necessarily. And I like his – I like the take there. And with the guys we just mentioned, the the trio of prep prospects at FSU's landed in the last few days, a common theme for me, and I want to see if you guys agree – I don't know if any of these guys like set my world on fire, but what you're seeing Florida mm-hmm. State do, and I've mentioned this, uh, I'm repeating this phrase probably for like the third time this podcast, I'm very conscientious of it, but I don't know how else to describe it. They're raising the floor of this recruiting class. Like these guys are all players that you're taking multiple takes at their positions, and they're kind of giving you some assurances, some safety that, okay, you have one, now you can be a little bit more aggressive in pursuing someone with maybe a more robust skill set that is being more highly valued by more schools. And so you can kind of take a chance on, on a Dustin Paisan or, or an Andrew Jones, or, you know what I mean? That that's how I view this. Do you guys see that similarly that these guys help raise the bottom of, of the, the floor of the recruiting class? I think that's a fair view. I think the other thing you got to keep in mind is we're fast approaching a thousand kids being committed in this. Right. Class. So at some point, if you do believe in a kid and the evaluation mm-hmm. of a kid that you have, and I think, Certainly in Jackson West's case and in Burrell's case, they wholeheartedly believe in the evaluations. Those are guys that they've had long-term relationships for that date several months, even some of them predating their time at Florida State. 
I think you certainly take them. I'm not as familiar with Eubanks and the history of them beyond FSU to know that I could put him in that same category. A little breaking news here, fellas. Jerry and Jones is at Campbell Stadium. He's home. He <laughs> I thought you were going to say, like, at Auburn. <laughs> <laughs> He's back at Ole Miss. I told you. <laughs> you want to know a fun fact? FSU's last four commitments have a name that starts with J. All right. One more topic I'm going to get to, then we'll take a few questions. Football is back, guys, at least sort of. It's mm. it's working towards that direction. FSU, we confirmed this morning, has resumed voluntary workouts on campus. That's that's lifting. We also expect for there to be player-run practices, which are going to essentially be seven-on-sevens. Not a huge surprise. We've been kind of keeping you abreast of this, that FSU uh, had the guys planning to return to Tallahassee in mid-May so they can have everyone kind of quarantined get the testing done, the COVID testing that Chris reported on about a week ago. They could get all that kind of aligned for when the green light was was given, when you can go. And NCAA did that this past week. June 1st, you could return to, to some sort of uh, voluntary organized activities. That was what this plan was for at least a month now. I don't have a whole lot to add. I just thought it was significant. Chris, oh. I know you've covered this uh, fairly fairly closely as I have as well. Do you have any thoughts? I know that they tested some guys who weren't part of the original testing batch that first day that Coburn told me about. They tested some of them after Memorial Day holiday. I know, for example, that some of the guys coming into town today, I think Jerry and Jones actually mentioned this. He can't actually go work out to after he gets the testing done. Obviously, there's a slight turnaround with the testing. So that probably holds him out uh, three to five days after he gets tested from when he can actually start officially working out with groups. Uh, I also think they're trying to limit the amount of staff that's around the players, and they're still trying to do fairly small groups. They're, it's still a very controlled environment I, intentionally. I don't. I, I think it's nothing but the strength and conditioning right. staff. Yeah, yeah I, I don't think coaching staffs there or even like GAs, QCs. Yeah, the, the strength and conditioning staff is there. As Chris mentioned, I know Josh has talked about this before, small groups when they are working out about 10 at a time. These are voluntary, but we fully expect everyone to to volunteer to to be there. So it's encouraging. That's a step in the right direction. Obviously, so many variables, but but it's positive. It's fluid. All right, let's take a few questions. Tone Capone four asks: Does Maurice Goldsby count as an initial counter since he signed a LOI? Mm -mm. Uh, no, correct. Correct. No, never enrolled. Okay. He also wanted us to explain the 25 counter rule, but I think we did an adequate job of that earlier. Uh, there were a lot of good questions. Chris, like did. Chris did because Josh did. tapped out on it. Yeah. After hearing Chris get to the end of that, I was like, there, I mean, there was just no possible way I was going to ever pull that off. I, I'm surprised you even. It, it's such a strength for him to be able to, for a minute, succinctly put something together. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's impressive. <laughs> Every single else, time, and it's, it's lazy got? for me, too. Uh, so anyways, there's a few more questions, but I think we kind of integrated most of the ones we could into our script or talked about things you guys wanted to just talk about without actually asking the question. Chief Champagne, Chief Champagne 93 asks, is it a call for concern if FSU does not land another O-line transfer this offseason? Also, what impact do you think landing O-lineman versus not landing O-lineman would specifically have for this season? I know people are worried about not taking an O-line transfer. Josh? Well, it would depend on the O-line transfer. I, I, I don't I think Jared Williams, the Houston offensive tackle, he's better than what Florida State's got, but it's just marginally better. 
Um, Jared Wilson at Florida State, you know, do we are we counting another win? I don't I don't probably think so. It's it's hard to say. I mean, it, the answer is simple. They need to upgrade that position. Right. We bang that drum every no podcast, what. I feel like. But but just taking somebody isn't necessarily upgrading right. that position. FSU's predicament is they're in competition for a kid like the Houston transfer with, you know, the Baylors and the Miamis. Mm-hmm. But kids are just above that. They tend to go to something above where FSU currently is. And kids below that probably aren't helping FSU. So there's a small sample group that FSU can – pursue from and right now there's not many of those in the transfer and the transfer you know we're june 1st here how many more kids are we going to see enter between now and basically say they do approve the six-week camp leading up to the season between now and july 15th or august 1st to 8th when you hope to have your whole team on campus officially i think the thing that they're trying to balance florida state as a staff is you're if you're taking a transfer and specifically a grad transfer, someone who can play right away, it's a one-year fix, correct? So you're trying to get a guy for one year to help fix, obviously, the most glaring position of need on the roster. But that guy has to be a few tiers better than, say, Darius Washington to justify mm-hmm. not getting him on the field this year to develop him long-term. I think that's kind of the the balancing act there. So it's like, yeah, is is, is Jared Williams from, from Houston considered an upgrade over Darius? Yeah, yeah, right now, probably, based on him having experience, being more developed. Uh, his PFF grade at the G5 level is probably 20 spots higher than Darius's is, but is losing a year of development for Darius worth it? And and that's the, the balancing act. Are you talking about someone like Ezra Miller? Like, you, he's, he's an unknown. So it's a matter of, are they just trying to add a body? And I think you can make the argument that maybe they should be looking at that but the staff is pretty consistent with offensive line that it has to be someone who can either be an immediate clear cut upgrade or someone who can bring in for a couple of years to develop long-term in that room. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Mike Norvell and company are trying to win now. I have no doubt about that. Their goal is to maximize what they can do in year one, despite all of the difficulties that have, you know, transpired between now and the beginning of year one. But they also, I don't think, are going to hurt the future for a slight increment of increased possible success in year one. Right. If that makes sense. Based on what's in the portal right now. Yes. If you're taking a guy you know is going to help you win year one or that's going to be developed over multiple years and might be better than a recruit you can get in this 21 class, Fabian Lovett's a good example of that at D-Tackle, then I think you do it without thinking twice. But I think if it's something that might not help you year one and certainly won't help you over something you can potentially get in a 21 class, I think that's a tough balancing act and you don't rush into it. You don't just take a body to take a body. If you take someone who's bad and they're on your roster for multiple years, you are stuck with them. And it messes up your depth. It messes up your ability to have a quality roster. 44 or more deep and that's what you need in college football you can't survive with only 22 you need 44 or more positional players and that's something that doomed this program at the end of the jimbo era and and trickled into what willie taggart inherited because he ended up having to play a ton of young guys that weren't ready to play and obviously development and practice was was problematic isaiah walker's a good example of what you're talking about chris like if there's a guy who who you think can help you early and then often they were all hands on deck for him. They were legitimately very interested in him, but it takes that yeah. kind of guy to enter the portal and that doesn't mm-hmm. exist right now. All right. I think we, we flushed that one out uh, as much as we can. Final question. AVFO three, any plan to slow down DB recruiting? It's not an area FSU 
has a trouble has trouble recruiting and it's not a thin spot at the moment either. I feel like at this point we can headhunt for the top one percent here. I think this is after the Jerry and Jones commitment too. So with that in mind, do we have an idea of what the DB board looks like? The priority, uh, how many guys they're looking to add, and the reminder of the cycle given they already have a couple pledges. I, I don't think they're scared of having too many bodies at that position. The thing you got to remember about DBs is it's kind of like receivers, but usually with an added bonus. They're usually really, really athletic dudes, but defensive players are a little bit more willing to go out there and bang, which gives you something, you know, for special teams or something like that. So I think having an abundance of DBs isn't a negative because it's not solely about the two corners or the two safeties that you're rolling out there to nickel package or to dime package. It's also about can they make us better in kick returns, punt returns, kickoffs punts, all those things. So I think it kind of factors into all of that and having an abundance of bodies there is fine as long as your other positions are properly addressed. On numbers, I don't have a definitive number of what I expect them to keep going for. You know, we know there's some guys interested. Cameron Grays is a guy who keeps telling me he's close to committing, not specifically to FSU, but we do believe FSU is a top contender in his head. But we're also not 100% sure that FSU would definitely take Cameron Grace. He is someone that has visited here before. He's had a relationship with Marcus Woodson dating back to his previous job. But Woodson's looking for guys with a certain mentality and a certain makeup more than measurements or anything else. He wants guys that are very competitive, who kind of buy into what they're trying to do, and who's going to be part of a group. It's not solely about getting to one supremely good individual. Um, I know I mentioned Cameron Gray's, maybe Josh can mention a couple other names. There are a few other DBs that they are still very active with. Amari Harvey, Terry and Arnold being two. Um, the answer to answer your question, Brendan, is the same as last no, week. It's not, it's not my question. Uh, no, you said, are they tighten up the DB border? Or, right, not your question, but the one that you read. And I'll answer it the same exact way I said last last week. Florida State is interested in taking impact players, the ones that on their board that they view as impact, kind of the names that we've went over, um, the top names on the board, uh, uh, Collier, Corey Collier, names like that. So Florida State's not putting the, the brakes on it. They're just engaging with those guys at the top of the board that they view as elite. All right, that's all we have for questions. Uh, one last update. Jerry and Jones just tweeted out that he's no longer in Tallahassee. Okay. I'm glad you're on the Jerry and Jones beat now that he's on the team. I'm no, he's no longer mine. <laughs> Chris, look, I don't think Chris think, thought I was joking at first. All right, guys, that's everything we have. I think what it's amazing that we got this done in less than an hour. It's really, really impressive. So you want some real breaking news? Justin Ross. Yeah. Alfred yeah I just saw that. I didn't, I didn't want to. Thanks, Chris. I didn't want to bring it up at the end of the podcast because I usually like to make a joke and end it. But now, yeah, well, he, he apparently needs to have his like neck fused. Thanks for throwing me off, Chris. You're welcome, buddy. All right. I'm, I'm Brendan Sinone. This is on the bench. <laughs> five-star reviews, people. That's all we want is five-star reviews. I'm going to save Sinone from himself and say thank you for listening to On the Bench. We'll be back maybe later this week, but definitely next week. on Paramount+. Plus. 
Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's the can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.